One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello listeners, Tim Sylvie here. Now, before we introduce today's guest, I'm delighted to welcome a brand new, shiny, enthusiastic co-host to the show. It's his debut hosting the Motormouth podcast, and I couldn't be happier. He's a racer, broadcaster, and a man I've had the pleasure of working with on the uh, Race Aramco F1 Focus podcast. Go and check it out if you haven't already. It's none other than Mr. Alex Brundle. How are you, my friend? This is the peak of your career to date, by the way. How's it going? Oh, it's it's good. Apart from being shiny, maybe I need to maybe I need to address my skincare routine to get a bit more of a matte finish on the old uh, on the old boat race here, Tim. But uh, you yeah, know, I'm 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 very good, very good indeed. Good, good to hear. Well, it's great to have you. Before we get any deeper into today's show, a very quick interruption. Thanks to a chance encounter at a recent motorsport event, we've got a new show sponsor, and it's something or someone that's a little bit different. Paul Oz has joined us for this season of the podcast, and we couldn't be happier. We've been huge fans of Paul since first meeting him at the Spanish Grand Prix in 2018, and I'd encourage all of you to go and check out his amazing work, especially, of course, his Formula One art and sculptures. Paul's created some of the most iconic and important pieces of our time, inspired by racing history, and he's partnered with the likes of McLaren Sky, the Senna, Lauder and Hunt families, and loads more. Head over to pauloz.com to learn all about his work, and make sure to stay tuned to this show for your chance to win an original Paul Oz painting in the coming weeks. Amazing! As many of you will know, sponsors and partners are absolutely vital to our continued growth. And without them, it's pretty much impossible to keep making content that you want to listen to and hopefully enjoy. We can't thank Paul enough for agreeing to join us and we look forward to loads of fun with him over the course of this season. Today we're joined by a man who's spent the last decade presenting, reporting and most recently podcasting. He's worked for the lights of BBC Radio 1, LBC, Talk Sport, Virgin Radio, 5 Live and Capital FM. But we know very well that his passion lies in Formula 1 and he's now host of The Fast and the Curious alongside Betty Glover and Radio Royalty, Greg James. We're here to learn about his life career, thoughts and opinions Christian Hugill, welcome to the Motormouth podcast. Tim, that might be the best introduction anyone's ever given me for anything. That was that was brilliant. I'd like you to introduce me to everything I do. That's fantastic. Thank you. I could I'll just follow you around and yeah. introduce you to, to people randomly. 
It was very, that was very a knight's tale, Tim. <laughs> that that introduction, a broadcaster, a broadcaster witnessed by broadcasters. Um, Christian, where where are you joining us from? Uh, my my little well, anyone who lives in London will know the concept of a bedroom can be generously described by landlords. So, what is officially my spare bedroom? But we worked out if you were to actually put a bed in this room, you won't be able to open or close the door. So it's my little working cupboard, where, which literally fits in a desk and a like rail of clothes. So yeah, it's, since the since the pandemic, it became used to become used to be a storage room, and it's now just like my little my little office cupboard, which is uh, yeah does the job. So yeah, my little office in South London. Very good. Now we must first touch on your appearance at our karting event, which we had recently. I don't think I caught up to you, caught up with you afterwards. <clears throat> How did you get on? Well. I, I apparently didn't do too badly. I used to race karts, which I know we're going to talk about a little a little bit in a bit. And I was, I'm very realistic about my own skill sets. Like, I was never going to be a, a massive racing driver. I was, a, I was a fine kart racer. I didn't set the world alight. I wasn't terrible. I was fine. But I, I went quite cold turkey when I finished racing. Because as anyone who listens to this podcast who has raced knows, when you stop racing, it's hard. It's it You miss it. And so I really moved, tried to move on. So that was the first time I'd raced on a proper circuit for 13 years. And the first time I'd... Cause, and Wilton Mill, where we were, was my home club circuit. On the last weekend of every month, we're always at Wilton Mill. So considering... The team I was with, who are still racing drivers, they, I was going around doing qualifying times in the one minute fives. And they said, if you can get into the one minute twos today, you're not three seconds off over the course of the day, you've done well. And by the end of the day, I was doing consistently low 101s. So oh. I was really ha- pleased with myself. I was like, for 13, for a 13 year sabbatical, like a longer sabbatical than Mika Hakkinen, I was quite <laughs> pleased with myself. Did you find it? So it came back over the course of a day then. Uh, you, everybody always says it's like riding a bike, but I really, I get to the end of every winter, Christian, before I go racing again for the next year. And I know for, I've heard the, even the legendary likes of Lewis Hamilton say this, they get in the car and go, oh, I can do it still. Oh God, that's a relief. So it's, <laughs> it's lovely to hear you say that and allay my fears <laughs> that it would have come back. It, it did come back considering how different my life is compared to 13 years ago it didn't feel like 13 years at all like here i am going into turn one that left under again at wilton but alex you'll have had plenty more experience of this than me the thing that was the adjustment for me was obviously they're very different carts to what you'd race if you were in rotax max and if we were in rotax you wouldn't take a massive chunk of turn one because you'd, you'd knock the chain off your sprocket for a start yeah and all of a sudden i've got the guys on my team going yeah take a great big chunk into into turn one so it was the learning to drive because I've only ever raced Rotax learning to race a different vehicle was very new for me and the different things you can get away with from one vehicle to another so it but it did yeah I remember I was I didn't disgrace myself and for me in any competitive sport that's the level I aim for and I I achieved that so that's fine (laughs) well well done well I hope you enjoyed the day and and actually coincidentally and this wasn't planned you did actually race against Alex back in the day didn't you yeah, well, I, I did. I used to I'd say, I've mentioned Wilton Mill Carkler was my home circuit and the last weekend of every month. Uh, and Alex was always, you know, you get, you had the sort of, I always saw the Rotax category, the junior, mini max, senior max, the sort of three categories. You'd have the quick kids towards the front. You'd have the middle pack 
in the back markers. And I was always consistently in the middle pack. Alex was consistently one of the quick kids, obviously. And, uh, and, and then you'd also get the very strange thing as well of me being always being an F1 super fan. I can vividly remember one weekend after the Monaco Grand Prix when we were at Wilton and Alex being stood with his dad next to me on the grid at Wilton. And I'm thinking, you know, Martin's had two contrasting weekends. This time last week, he was doing his grid walker <laughs> in Monaco. Now he's stood in the pouring rain in Northamptonshire at Wilton Mill. It's like proper <laughs> motorsport. So yeah, I remember racing against Alex very well. I would have thought he had more fun at Wilton Mill, actually. That was, that was, that was my local, that was my local car track. And it's weird. It's kind of, we kind of had a really similar journey though, in many ways, because I didn't actually do that much karting. Wilton Mill Club Championship was it. Yeah. You know, we never threw the because you remember back in the day you could uh, you could kind of keep things pretty sensible uh, money wise mm. if you only did the clubbies. But then as soon as you um, jumped up into that kind of world championship, British championship level, you had to be with a team, didn't you? Um, so yeah. it, it was back in the day where you could really still do uh, a bit of a bit of dad and lad karting. Um, but yeah. so well, when you when you stopped karting, you, you headed off to Nottingham Trent to do a bit of bit of broadcast journalism. Did you always feel when you were racing that the media direction of, of motorsport was where you wanted to go? Or did you did you still want to be a racing driver at that point, I would have thought? Uh, I did. I, everything you've just said, Alex, you hit the nail on the head because we were very much lad and dad. And as you say, if you weren't with one of the big teams, there was a bit of a ceiling you could reach. And I had sponsorship and, we, and my mum and dad were amazing at fundraising. You know, came from a very working class background we, we scraped the money together but it became obvious that it we weren't going to go any further with the money we got so and I had at that point started to this is age 19 18 sort of realized actually I really do want to be a broadcaster so I decided I'm going to go to uni I'm going to put my eggs in the broadcasting basket and this is where I'm going to go so it was from there but so I did leave karting behind but I, I did want to point out and I must do this because I just spoke to my dad before we joined this recording he reminded me, Alex, of the last time we had a conversation with each other, which I'd <laughs> forgotten all about, but now remember vividly. And this was at Wilton Mill, where we were for the, the Motormouth Charity podcast. And Alex, the last time we spoke to each other was in the clerk of the course's office. <laughs> and I can remember this so vividly. It was an A final. And Alex, you'd started towards the back. I'd started towards the middle. And in turn one... Alex had tried to go. Uh, Alex had tried to go on the inside to turn one. Alex, you know the corner I'm talking about at Wilton Mill, yeah. sort of S Bend first corner. But that had left you on the outside For two. into turn two, and you and there was a big runoff curb there now, but that wasn't there in the past. And you were you were in the gravel and in the wall, and I was like, it's one of those where you're like, I might get in trouble there. And I think it ended your race. I'm convinced it ended your race. But we went into the clerk of the course's office and I was in being given full bollocking by the clerk of the course. And Alex turned around and went, no, no, no. I went around the outside. It's always a risk in there. I'd have done the same thing. Must have and been I a good punt got if you got me all the way to so, the wall. <laughs> oh, you, you, you would, but Alex, you were lovely. And you were like, no, no, no. Fair play. I, I tried it. It didn't work. That's that. And I was like, what a nice man, because my goodness me, in karting, I don't think I, I race against a lot of people that would have been like, yeah, he had me off. And I'd have been points on my license and given a place penalty, etc. But Alex, you were very lovely in that it was a, you were like first oh. corner instant, tried it around the outside. 
we shook hands and then spoke to each other 13 years later on a podcast. So <laughs> Alex, thank you for that. You never got to say it, but what a lovely thing you did. You made, I kept my position thanks to you and you were, you were very nice about it. What a gent. What, what a, what a gent. He's not like that anymore, Christian. He's an absolute <laughs> nightmare. Now, if you, cr- if you crashed into him now, your life would be in danger. And, and that's why you. I didn't get further in motorsport, folks. No, <laughs> no, there. Alex, I mean, I was in the midfield. That's why I wasn't up at the front. We're on the same wavelength. You got further than me. <laughs> um, but uh, good days, good days. Now, uh, Christian, you uh, you're a Racing Pride mm. ambassador. Uh, we had Racing Pride at the karting as well. You were you had uh, we had the stickers on the cart, and and you were you joined us in the commentary booth with another Racing Pride uh, Racing Pride ambassador, Chris Stevens, as well. You know, you're you're obviously openly gay. You're part of the growing LGBTQ plus community in motorsport, um, which feels like it's heading in a really positive direction. When did you come out, and and what impact did that have on your life? Yeah, Alex. Alex mentioned going to Alex mentioned that as when I finished karting I, I went to uni and as I say it was around 18 19 I stopped racing but it was probably around the time I started karting age 13 or 14 I raced for about five years that I realized I might be gay but I didn't accept that possibility and that there were two reasons why I did it was like well this can't happen and one was because I was in motorsport and was a kart racer. And another was because I was a passionate football fan, a Leicester season ticket holder. And it's like, well, I, I'm not, you know, all you saw going back all this time, you know, decade and a half, you sort of saw a lot of the gay stereotypes, but you didn't see those um, positive role models in sport that you do see now. The likes of Tom Daly, who are like, yeah, I'm an Olympic gold medalist. Oh, mm. and yeah, I'm gay. And I genuinely believe that if I wanted to be, whether it was a racing driver or or then, as Alex said, I realised I wanted to go into broadcasting and I wanted to be a football reporter or a, or a motorsport reporter. I genuinely believe that it wouldn't be possible to be both. So it was like, right, well, I'm never going to get rid of my love of sport. So I, I just didn't accept the possibility that I might be gay until sort of second year of uni. So it anyone who 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 lives... I wouldn't say not being honest with themselves, but but forcing something down and compressing something about themselves for as long as I did for like six years, it does its fair share of damage. And and then when I came out, um, there were there were some family difficulties as well. It didn't necessarily all go smoothly. My mum is very open with it now, and everything's fine now. But my mum really struggled with it, so it was bloody difficult. Yeah, it was a it was. It, it it was a really shit time of life. It was really tricky. And again, you mentioned the karting event. It was so, uh, it was quite therapeutic, actually, if that's the right word, to go back all these years later. And I was with a, a team of three racing drivers on the Racing Pride team who were just amazing. And they're just openly gay and quick and racing. And it's just fine and it's the thing and it wasn't talked about and I remember again speaking to my dad on the uh, getting the train home being like I couldn't have even dreamed or wouldn't have even dreamed of being open about my sexuality in motorsport so I'm massively proud to be a part of Racing Pride because it's just so important to, for people to be whether you're a gay sports broadcaster a gay racing driver whatever LGBT plus and whatever you want to be to say yeah I'm, I'm gay and it's fine because I genuinely believed it wouldn't be and there are still people that genuinely believe you can't be gay and be a sports broadcaster. So I'm I'm very proud to be a part of Racing Pride. 
Yeah, we know Racing Pride do, do fabulous work, but are you? I mean, it, it's something that really can only be experienced firsthand, kind of as as yourself, isn't it? Uh, are you happy with the 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 journey that inclusivity is is taken in in motorsport? I mean, from a from a driver's perspective, I can only imagine that being incredibly challenging. Uh, it, culturally incredibly challenging from a even a facilities perspective everything the, the setup is still for me not really there um for 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 the inclusivity that that I would like to see in 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 the sport how is it for you now christian firstly what you perceive from a driver's perspective and and from a broadcaster's perspective in in terms of you know the the rise of inclusivity in, in motorsport I think motorsport's on a really good path and it's doing really good things. And the way Racing Pride has grown so quickly in the last three years to be a properly international group says a lot about that. And I think you, I can, I've, as I said, my career now is fully motorsport, but before I was a sort of jobbing news and sports broadcaster, I've done a lot of footballs and football's my sort of other specialism. And you look at when, F, uh, sorry, when, when the World Cup went to Qatar. And there was all the arguments over should they wear the rainbow armband, for example. And it became apparent that if they did, the players would get booked. And I think for a gay guy, I had quite a controversial view. I was like, look, don't get yourself booked. It's not, it's a, it's a, it's a band. It's not going to change a thing. Just don't get yourself booked. But I was like, but what would be good is if, say, the England captain had gone into the press conference after the match and say, oh, by the way, we didn't wear the band, but we just want any of our LGBT fans to know, you know, we're playing in a really difficult place for LGBT people. We are with you. We'd support you. But they didn't do that. You know, nobody had the bottle to do that. Whereas you flip that with the likes of Formula One and you've had people like Sebastian Vettel and Lewis Hamilton get to say they got, when they got to the Hungarian Grand Prix, I think it was in 2020, I could be wrong. It was 2020 or 2021 when, when Hungary had, had a, a lot of problems with um, what was effectively a sort of section 28 style bill that had been introduced by their government was basically said, we're not going to teach anything about LGBT people. Um, and the fact that Lewis turned around and, and Seb turned around and said, no, I, I don't think that's right. And the fact that obviously Seb's retired now, but Lewis continues to do so that has moved the conversation on so much. And I was very fortunate to talk to Lewis about this when we launched the fast and the curious in February. And I just said to him, you know, I hope you realize how, impactful it's been because Alex it has moved those conversations on I agree with you there's so much to go but those big figures saying by the way this needs to be better it has pushed motorsport on and I think it is doing a better job than football there's lots more that can be done you know and Alex you mentioned the the environment the atmosphere I remember and some of the things that were keeping me from sort of even thinking about being gay was I remember once a year Wilton did a sort of Brazilian event where they had like Brazilian grid girls and all the talk was like, are you excited? So, no, not really. I will be honest with you. But um, again, stuff like that, it's like, oh, this just, this isn't a place for me. And now there is much more understanding of that, I think. So I agree with you, Alex. There's a lot, there's always a long way to go, but, it, but it's moving in the right direction. I think thanks to the sort of pioneering work of those big names at the top. And I'd, I'd implore and encourage other big names to, do what Lewis and Seb do because it, it makes such a difference. It moves the conversation forward such a lot. It does. And and there are there are some teams obviously doing more than others, which, which is to be expected. And Aston Martin seem to be fairly vocal in their support of yeah. Racing Pride. And I think that's probably a, 
in no small part down to uh, Matt Bishop, who's obviously gone yeah. um, and he's left the team now, but um, was was very influential at Aston Martin. And, and that sort of legacy that he's he's left has continued. Um, and, and they seem to be a, a very um, uh, active and proactive team across the board. I mean, they, they were very supportive of the karting and the charities that we had, uh, the Brain Tumor Charity especially, and they seem very forthcoming with anything racing pride related. Do you feel Aston Martin is sort of leading the way out of the Formula One ecosystem? I think they led the way, definitely, because as you say, because because Matt, so for anyone who's not aware, Matt Bishop is the former Chief Communications Officer at Aston Martin. Uh, he's also worked many teams in the past at McLaren, famously as well, uh, and, and is probably the most influential openly gay guy in the F1 paddock and Matt pushed forward this an awful lot and then Alpine did a really good job as well uh, and sort of they were the I think off the top of my head the second or around then team to sort of say yeah we'll get involved with Racing Pride and then credit to Mercedes as well who, who also put Rainbow Elm, uh, the Rainbow Badge on the car Red Bull have also recently invited um invited Racing Pride to, to come in. I was fortunate enough to go to Red Bull another, a couple of weeks ago to talk to some of their teams. So more teams are getting involved, yeah. And Aston Martin certainly led the way in the early days. I just think it's, you know, y- y- what you get with F1 being such an international sport is you get the thing of, well, we don't want to mix sport with politics, particularly where there are commercial interests for some of these teams. But it isn't politics, is something I always say. It is people's lives. It is people being able to live who they truly are. Um, so I hope other teams are brave enough, that even if they have got, say, for example, Middle Eastern commercial interests to go, actually, no, we, we do support you. Because it, it honestly makes the world a difference. Because it makes people who are struggling in their teenage years, or even beyond that, people come out at all points of life, it makes you look at teams getting involved and you go, oh, okay, so it is possible for me to be who I am. Because trust me, it's such a heavy burden trying to block who you are. And that sort of thing costs lives ultimately. So it's not politics. It's just being able to be who you actually are and be open. Little things like your girlfriend or boyfriend being able to come and watch you when you're racing. Again, racing drivers have had to hide that. Little things like, you know, a, a, a straight male racing driver mentioning their girlfriend when you're chatting with your mechanics. Again, these little secrets that you have to keep makes take such a toll. Uh, so the more it, the more the teams and drivers get involved from the very top and say, we're here, we support you, and this is motorsport can be an inclusive place, the more it filters down, like anything in Formula One, you know, even technology filters from the top down. So I hope more of the teams get involved. Yeah, I think also, you know, from uh, bringing it hard, you know, bringing it into the sporting perspective of uh, of everything as well. uh, Anybody who recruits, anybody who recruits for motorsport at the moment will tell you how difficult it is. Right now, as we sit here in 2023, there is a, a real crisis going on in motorsport around finding good people who yeah. are capable in their roles to run racing cars uh, and drive racing cars. M- maybe less so drive racing cars is a bit of the key for that, but, but, but <laughs> run racing cars um, and, and engineer them. Uh, and the, the, ultimate, the ultimate evil of recruitment is narrowing your base of prospective 
of, of prospective talent uh, and, in, and, in, and in narrowing that base or in making an environment where a, a number of those people would, wouldn't feel comfortable to, to come work for you or, or are, are unable to deliver the full apex of their skill and ability, you are costing yourself performance. There is no argument against that. That was one of the points that one of the big bosses who I was talking to, I think it was Red Bull Power Trains, actually, when I went to Red Bull with Racing Pride a couple of weeks ago, said there were some estimates now. Look, LGBT, LGBT plus people have always been here. They've just not always been confident enough to be open with who they are. There's always been transgender people. There's always been lesbian people. There's always been gay people, whatever. But there are, there are modern estimates that suggest up to a third of people uh, young people, sort of people under the age of 30, 40 nowadays, identify in some way LGBTQ+. So if if you have up to a third of people uh, ostracised from an industry like sport because they don't feel it's for them, exactly as you say, Alex, it's such a good point. You're missing out on potential talent. And again, I've interviewed people from F1 teams about this subject and they've gone, listen, I, I you know, I, I don't care about their sexuality. And that's not a negative thing. It's just that like I want the best people. So it is within the sport's interest to bring in people because yeah, it's such, it's such a good point. And as I say, it might've gone a different way for me. I might've genuinely felt I wouldn't have wanted to get into sport. And I'm, I'm very proud of myself. Actually, I don't say that very often. I'm a very harsh critic of myself that I sort of stuck at it and thought, you know, I can be a sports reporter on the BBC. I can present a formula one podcast or, or you know, and be gay. It's it, because you can, in the same way you can be an engineer, a mechanic, a race strategist, whatever. You can be LGBT plus and whatever you like. And we just try to sing that loud and proud at Racing Pride, really. Yeah. And it's it's about being inclusive across the board, though, isn't it? I mean, even small steps that, that teams can take. One thing that I always notice that seems to be changing is when you often see a job application, um, not necessarily related to the LGBTQ community, but others. And it will say, for example you must have a degree level um, qualification in X, Y, or Z. If you don't have that, basically you're not invited to apply. And it's immediately shutting the door to certain... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Demographics. And it's just about yeah. being open and inclusive. And, and, and conversations like this is so important because, you know, if it encourages one person to apply, you know, like you say, who, who 
wouldn't have had the confidence to do so in the past, then it, it's a hundred percent worth it. But look, Christian, let's let's move it on. I want I do want to talk about your 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 new podcast. Um, you've obviously been in the media space for some time. We mentioned earlier, Formula One is your is your passion, your thing, and and hence that's led you to the Fast and the Curious which you're doing Betty Glover and Greg James. My wife is infatuated with Greg James, by the way. So if you ever have the opportunity to bring him along to an event, she will um, probably run off with him and try and have his children. But that, that's for another <laughs> Don't day. Don't introduce him to, to Tim's wife. <laughs> no. It's, also, it's well, also worryingly far from the first time I've heard that as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I, people I get love him. that. I, I mean, I get him. it. I mean, he would turn me, to be honest with you. But yeah, t- tell yeah. us, tell us about how that came about how, how did the opportunity come about and and i'm interested who came up with the name because motormouth gets quite a lot of compliments for its name and i again Chloe, my wife ca- came up with the name i i t- have no bragging rights for that whatsoever so how did it come about and who came up with the name uh, so as you guys mentioned earlier uh, when i left motorsport i sort of traveled through the media and ended up working in different tv and radio stations and started working at radio one in 2017 on Newsbeat, which is the sort of news and sports service for Radio 1 and 1 Extra. Um, And in the last couple of years there, I started to cover doing the news on Greg James' breakfast show, the news and sport bulletins in the morning. And there was one morning, and by the way, I am not a morning person. And this shift started at four o'clock in the morning. So my alarm was going off at three o'clock in the morning. And uh, anyone who worked with me saw the very worst of me, including the way I dressed. It was a case of grab anything I could find. And there was one particular morning I'd got some motorsport merch on. And I think it was a a Christmas gift, like a Mercedes sort of gym top style. Um, And I walked into the studio to every morning you'd go in and fire up the studio for the morning and check it was working. And Greg was in his studio and we could see each other through cameras and Greg came in my ear and said, good morning, Christian Hugill. You've come, uh, you've come dressed to work as Toto Wolf today. And I was like, and I'd, I'd spoken to Greg lots of times about cricket and that sort of thing. But I was like, Oh, formula one fan. He was like big formula one fan. Yeah. And Greg's a massive sport person. And that was it. We then just started chatting about formula one and I knew I was leaving the BBC and knew I was leaving Newsbeat. And I always did F1 stuff when the time was right, but I wanted to go out with a bang. So I pitched to the BBC to send me to uh, Bahrain to do the 2022 Bahrain Grand Prix. And I did inserts into Greg's show from that. And then Greg was kind enough to text me and say, oh, well done, lovely stuff. And then when I made it clear that I was leaving the BBC, on the day I announced I was leaving, Greg said to me, um, let's start a Formula One podcast. I want to find out more about it. He was a casual fan who wanted to find out more. And we started talking about it from there. At the same time, I started to talk to Formula One because I do a podcast for Formula One themselves now called Formula Y, which explains the sport, sort of answers a why question every week and digs quite deep. So I started to talk to F1 about that project, started to talk to Greg about that. And in terms of the fast and the curious we didn't think there was many F1 podcasts out there that were unashamedly presented by people who didn't know everything about the sport. We, we wanted, and there's lo- so many new F1 fans at the moment through the 2021 title battle through drive to survive that we wanted to sort of say, like me, Christian's a massive geek. Greg and Betty are more curious. Let's go on this journey together. And 
that's how it came up. And the name, Greg was like, listen, names are my thing. That will just form over time. We started talking about it in sort of May last year. By two weeks from launch, February sort of this year, we didn't have a name. And it was starting to annoy all of us. And there's this amazing radio, ex-Radio 1 producer now called Jacob Reichard. And Greg said, Jacob knows nothing about F1. And Greg was like, but he's just a creative man. Greg was like, Jacob, because we were going to call it break time. Break, like B-R-A-K-E. The driver's joining us for a chat on their brakes. Brakes, cuz cars. And Greg was like, I'm not sold on it. Greg says to Jacob, if you can come up with anything better. And Jacob went away for a day. We'd been talking about it for like nine months and went, how about the Fast and the Curious? And it was like, that's it that's it so this shows you how good creative people like jacob are when we'd spent nine months thinking about it and jacob just came up with it but yeah it's it's, it's gone from there and, it, and we've been so fortunate and i say with formula y at the f1 podcast and with the fast and the curious i work on both simultaneously they're both very different beasts but they're both going down well which is lovely and it's enabled me to move from doing news and sport to doing talking about formula one full-time which is a bit of a dream come true to be honest with you another short interruption to remind you to check out pauloz.com the man behind some incredible pieces including two stunning bronze statues of the late great Ayrton Senna which he made working with the most prestigious bronze foundry on the planet but he does way more than just sculptures oh yes his canvas artwork has been showcased all around the world at f1 races galleries and in private collections if you'd like to speak to Paul about a project Please, please do reach out to us directly and we'll put you in touch. You might even benefit from a tidy little motormouth discount. Right, back to the show. So by way of thievery and pure stealing of content uh, from your forthcoming podcasts, well, well, talk, to us about, talk to us about your current view on F1. Are, are you enjoying this kind of era of Red Bull dominance? Is there enough racing for you behind? Uh, what do you reckon about the most recent set of Grand Prix, Christian? I, f- I feel like in terms of the most recent set of Grand Prix, we've had good races this year, whereas we've had very few. That was an absolute classic. But the racing has been good because I'm old enough to remember a time when I think there was less general overtaking than there is now. So if you look at the last Grand Prix in Canada, there were so many lovely midfield scraps. And for me, it was a really entertaining Grand Prix and lovely stories that, you know, Lando battling through, the Ferraris battling through, Perez battling through, Alex Albon. Uh, the problem is for me, F1 will always suffer a bit and not be able to reach its ultimate height while there are a dominant force at front. So I would, for the good of F1, like to see a close... I mean, Red Bull just deserve all the credit in the world because they've done the best job. And any of us involved in motorsport know you got to credit them where it's due. But I would like it for the sake of F1 to be closer because I will love it regardless. I love all the different stories coming through. I will get excited by a Haas battling an Alpine, but it would be good for the sport, I think, if if the gap could close. So I hope... Mercedes, Ferrari and Aston are able to close the gap. Not because I think they will at the end of this year, but crucially going into next year too. Now, uh, Christian, I'm going to put you on the spot here before we come on to our final three questions. If you were the boss of your own F1 team, if it was the fast and the curious F1 team and you have the pick of the drivers, who would you pick and why? I think I, I saw when you sent that we were going to talk about this yesterday, Tim sent me a couple of notes and I've thought about this so much since you've, so I was thinking about it in the shower this morning, like such a good question. And I think my answer's rubbish <laughs> and I'm really sorry, but I think 
I think Mercedes have the perfect driver lineup. I think in terms of sheer speed with Hamilton and Russell, tick. Two drivers that get the most... Oh, right, George buggered up in Canada. Rare mistake. Everybody makes a mistake. We'll let him off. But take that aside. Two drivers will always get the best out of the package. You don't... Checo isn't getting the best out of the package this year. Lance Stroll isn't getting the best out of the package. The two Ferrari drivers are both making mistakes. Was they are, They've both got the level of experience to get the best out of the package. They're both quick, as but they don't Weber Vettel style, Hamilton Rosberg style bicker with each other too much. I just think it's the perfect balance. I actually think Mercedes have the perfect driver lineup. And it's tempting to go, all right, I'll have Verstappen and Norris. But I reckon that could be explosive and you get into Verstappen Ricardo territory. They're not I think the fact that Hamilton and Russell are in different stages of career of their career makes a lot of difference. So in terms of speed and getting the most out of the package and team harmony, I would team fast and curious. I'd sign Hamilton and Russell, I think. You look at it, though, in the world of modern F1, and you look at where Red Bull are in the Constructors' Championship as well as in the Drivers' Championship, and you've got to ask yourself, do each of these teams only actually really need one driver that actually performs? They only need one driver who performs at 100%, because I actually think... I'm. It's a controversial view. Possible. I don't think it's that controversial, actually, is it? I think deep down, Christian Horner wants Sergio Perez to perform at about 80%, 75%. I think Christian wants Checo to be there on the podium, but he doesn't want him to be too close to Max. And the first couple of races this year, it was probably like, hmm, don't, don't quite be this good. Because then you get into Hamilton-Rosberg territory, Ricardo, uh, uh, Ricardo Vettel territory, where it's a bit too close. So... I think you're right, Alex. I think they need either that rarity where the drivers will fight cleaning and get on, like Hamilton and Russell seem to. But you don't, Rosberg was a bit too good for the, I've you know for Mercedes at the time. So I think you're absolutely spot on. I think they need someone who's good, but not but not that good. Don't be that good because that becomes a bit difficult to manage. So I think you're right. But I think but look at Aston Martin's position in the championship. They should have settled seconds. They should be comfortably second for the pace of their car. And they're not. And that's because if you look at Lance's points total, I think it's a real headache for Aston Martin, what with the management of the team. Because I think, you know, Lance seems a lovely guy and he's done some good things in his career. And I've not historically been one of the Lance Stroll haters. But he isn't, he's being outperformed by Fernando to such an extent that he's he's the other way to that he's not quite good enough yeah he's uh unfortunately Lance is very much the shrinking violet at the moment isn't he he's um he's been put to the sword big time by by Fernando which is is kind of um depressing to see when you think where they could be like you say if they had two world-class drivers up there um I'm going to bring in our final three questions Christian these are brought to us by our lovely new sponsor Paul Oz head to pauloz.com to check out his incredible art and F1 sculptures they are honestly amazing um we'll soon be running a listener competition to give away an a pool or pool oz original so um that's worth a considerable amount of money so keep an eye out for that on our socials um alex i didn't prep you for the final three so i'm just going to hope that you're <laughs> you're going to wing it but um if you've got your notes in front of you you'll be fine if not just make up a question um i'll go first to give you a minute to uh, to find the notes um christian What's got you excited at this very moment? It could be motorsport related or something completely random. The the British Grand Prix. 
It's my first time going to the British Grand Prix. In, in all my other races as media, I've been there for the BBC. This will be my first time going as for the Fast and the Curious and for Formula Y. And we've and for the first ever time, we're doing a, on the Fast and the Curious. We're doing a live show, so we're going to be on the stage. And our special guest is Gunter Steiner. And the amount of times I've stood watching the Silverstone main stage and seen people like Tom Clarkson interviewing the drivers and gone, I'd love to do that. That'd be cool. So, and I've always wanted to do a podcast in front of people with some reaction. So I'm, I'm so excited. I love being at Grand Prix to be around geeks like me. So to be in front of those people on a stage and having fun with the crowd and talking to Gunter Steiner, who's brilliantly mad with Greg and Betty, I'm so excited to do that. So yeah, going to the British Grand Prix and doing a, a podcast on the stage is, is really getting me excited. I'm very lo- much looking forward to that. That sounds fantastic. Now, Alex, did you manage to dig out your notes? Do you know what question number two is? I managed to dig out. Oh, oh yes. Question number two, I, I've managed to find. <laughs> what is it? <laughs> Go on, tell me. Is it? Do I? Uh, do I? Do I answer the first one or do I answer the second one? You just ask the second one. Oh, I ask the second. Oh, yeah. No, you I'm doing the it. guest host bit. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got it. <laughs> You're in charge now, Alex. This is here. Yeah. I'm in charge. <laughs> Who let me steer this shit? I know. Um, how much of your success do you put down to luck and the right place, right time? Why have you given me the long one, Tim? Or, or know, how sorry. much do you put down to downright hard work and grafting? Tim's testing his new driver recruit. I'm impressed. Um, uh, I think this is, again, you know, I've mentioned him three times in this podcast. My dad's such a inspiration to me and his values and his ethics form who I am. And his one of his catchphrases that is, is you make your own luck. And I think you do have an element of luck. Of course you do. But I think by working hard and putting yourself in the right place at the right time, you make your own look. So, you know, I've had a couple of opportunities where I fell into being able to Formula One broadcasting and been lucky. But I really do my homework with Formula One. I, you know, I, I watch old races to improve my knowledge. I, I really try and absorb and soak in every bit of it. And if I see other broadcasters, where I think they're better at that than me then I'll think oh, that's something I need to work on. I'll, I'll work on being able to reel off. Ah, oh, this happened. I remember when Felipe Massa did this in the 2012 British Grand Prix. So I'll, I'll, you know, that ability to just reel stuff off, I'll work on and improve on. So that if I am, if I do find myself lucky enough to host something, I've made my luck by being able to sort of sink, swim rather than sink, not sink rather than swim. So yeah, I think you make your own luck. If you, if you work hard, I think luck should follow you. I feel like I that was a rambling answer for for, for someone who's supposedly a broadcaster. Does that make sense in any way? Yeah, 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 yeah. Com- complete sense. Yeah, and and I I concur. I can totally agree with you. Our, our final question for you, Christian, before we let you get on with your day. And again, th- this doesn't need to be related to motorsport. It could be something far more um, generalistic. What are you scared of? What am I scared of? I'm. I'm gonna the fir- I'm gonna go with the first thing that jumped into my head, which is spiders, and and it's a again a rubbish answer. There's no reason for me to be afraid of spiders, but I really am. And I live in a flat, and we have this is so boring. I'd like to apologise. So yeah, listen to the Fast and the Curious and Formula I with me, the most boring man on the planet. But. <laughs> I want to talk about my gas meter because I have to, we got a smart meter installed oh, when it doesn't get any bloody signal. So I'm still having to manually 
you know, put input gas meter readings. And it's in this little box at the front of the flat, which is full of bloody spiders. So I'm, I really <laughs> don't want, I, the worst job of every couple of months is to input gas meter readings because there's a box full of spiders. And I'm so far, I find myself the, the most pathetic man on the planet, like inching this box open and seeing uh, 73925, dropping the box and literally running away. So like, Christian, you're a 31 year old grown man. What's wrong with you? Because this, these spiders <laughs> can't harm you. And yet me doing the gas meter reading is like a stressful thing of my life. So yeah, you know, it's, it's not logical, is it? They're not going to harm me. They physically can't harm me. Why am I bloody scared of spiders? But I am. Where are Ant and Deck when you need them to give you some bush tucker <laughs> for, uh, for for reaching in and, ch- oh, and checking I, the meter? I, just, I couldn't do that show. I just couldn't be. And there's nothing else on that show that would bother me. I could snakes. I like snakes. I think rats are quite cute. I'm not bothered about getting <laughs> bugs and slime on me. None of that. Fine. It, the one solitary reason I couldn't do that show is I'd be an embarrassment about spiders. It's just, it's pathetic. So, and especially as they could harm you, couldn't you? They're nasty bastards, the Australian ones. Aren't they? They're awful things. Oh, yeah. So, no, everything wants to kill you in Australia. Yeah. It's horrible. So, yeah, including a lot <laughs> yeah. of the people. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah that's the one that, uh, why am I scared of spiders? It makes no sense whatsoever. And that's why you'll, I mean, you'll never see me on I'm a Celebrity, not just because of the spiders, also because I'm not a celebrity. But that would be the overriding reason why I'd have to turn that down. <laughs> I was recently cured of my arachnophobia, actually, funnily enough. It's very, it's such, it's, what? yes, I know. I think my parents, my mother specifically, is very afraid of spiders. And in, and, and in moving away from home from a specific period of time, my subconscious has suddenly realised that they're not dangerous. But recently, I've, I, it's gone away. Which is there's so there's hope. No there is way. hope. There's hope. So your mum and dad oh. are both scared. My mum my mum is very my mum is very scared of spiders, whatever. You, but you but we see but your dad's all right. My dad's all right. But I think that, you know, when one of your parents is scared of something, yes. as a child you naturally sort of look at their reaction, don't you, and you learn that that thing's dangerous. And I, yeah. I think I've been cured of it by being a, away from home. Anyway, back to the Formula One podcast. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm yeah, enjoying no, this I conversation. Did, <laughs> no, no, I found it really interesting because that was the same with me. My dad was fine, but my mum wasn't. So now I, I'm, yeah, I, we, Alex, we'll do an arachnophobia spin-off podcast. <laughs> there you go. I'm, I'm, do you know, podcast, uh, I've, yeah. um, I've asked that question to near enough 160 people across the episodes now. And we've had all sorts of weird answers like killer whales and someone even said tea bags. But my, I think mine is still the weirdest, which is, and I don't know whether you've heard of this and I've talked about it before on the show. It's called, Tripophobia, which is an aversion or repulsion to objects like honeycombs and sponges that have repetitive patterns or clusters of small holes. It is an actual thing and it absolutely uh, sends me into a frenzy if I see tiny holes. Tim, um, so I was once reading a news bulletin on Radio 1 and if, I, if you were on a news bulletin shift, you'd have the Radio 1 text system on a screen in front of you. And in what I imagine reading the news on the BBC in the current climate, you get a, you are biased against this, biased against that, all sorts. The strangest complaint I ever had from my bulletin, or maybe not strange, was I gave a description in a news bulletin of a, a honeycomb thing like that. And that a long text came in complaining about my bulletin, saying I was ignorant 
for describing that because it gave people like by the sounds of it, your good self, Tim, with the greatest respect to you. It's probably me with complaining. that condition with that. It was the con- is it worth probably not condition probably can't say condition you know what I mean but yeah. I, I have had that complaint the most niche complaint yeah. on the radio before so I've heard of that before Tim yeah I'm disgusted by patterns of tiny holes and I I don't know why really mm. strange so what so you can't um, look, so radiators of cars then that's, that's yeah that, surely, that's that's surely that's career ending yeah <laughs> and there's and there's there's, a, I think it was Monaco Airport. There, there's, I think it was there in one of the rooms, Monaco Airport. The ceiling has loads of tiny holes, and I couldn't get away from it because I was in the, <laughs> in the departure lounge. I was like, oh, there's fucking the holes everywhere. It's horrible. Flat oh. against the floor, crawling to yeah. your gate, trying to get yeah, far yeah. away from yeah. the T- ceiling as possible. Yeah. yeah. Tim, can I ask a question that I've not asked anyone on a podcast before? Sure. Uh, what are your opinion, therefore, on crunchies? Ooh. Uh. Well, I don't mind crunchies because they're quite irregular holes. They're not like matching patterned holes. So that's okay. I can tolerate that. Could you watch Blockbusters as a kid? Uh, that was okay because they're quite large holes. Tennis? Fine. Tennis? Tennis? Fine. Rackets? No issues. You know you know really? that plant that there's like a flower that's got like, you dry it out and it's got a little, oh, it makes me, I can picture it. It's making me go weird. There's There's <laughs> certain things... That just really set my sets my skin off, and I'm not a lot like this is really common. I mean, I bet you you'll have friends that have this, and it's I'm not a weirdo. Well, yeah, yeah. No, I said somebody somebody texted me on Radio One and said I I did inadvertently manage to trigger the the whole yeah. scared of holes community. So yeah, no, I, I, it's, <laughs> it's a thing. A, it is a and it's not F1 is not embracing it like it has the LGBTQ community. I tell you, it's there needs to be more people with this. It needs to be spoken about more. Just, anyway, what's, can, just, we, what's the name of it, Tim? Oh, it's what's co- the name of this? It's called com- tripophobia. Um it's actually pronounced trip phobia. So tripophobia. So we need a tripophobia pride. Yes, please, if we could arrange that. So we need yeah. a tripophobia pride. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. I'll, have a, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, I'd be all over that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um wow, what a finish. Christian, absolute yeah. ple- pleasure having you on the show. I knew you'd be good fun and you were. Um thank you for <laughs> joining us at the karting recently. Um great to see the incredible success of the Fast and the Curious. It's absolutely flying and brilliant that you're going to be at the um at the Grand Prix at Silverstone. Um long may it continue. So, um I'm sure we'll speak again, but for now, thanks to you and Alex for your debut co-hosting. I promise to brief you better next time. Um, and uh, thanks for joining us on the Motor Mouth podcast. Oh, it's uh, guys, my pleasure. I've really, really enjoyed it. And thanks for having me at the karting event. It was such a great day. And uh, yeah, gave me the chance to drive around Wilton for the first time in 13 years and also raise some money. So yeah, it was fantastic. Really appreciate you uh, having me on, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Tim. It's been uh, it's been great fun and uh, always good to join you and talk to some fun guests. Thanks, Alex. See you soon. I really hope you enjoyed today's show. Don't forget to head to PaulOz.com and find him on all the usual social platforms to discover his incredible artwork. A massive thanks once again to Paul for joining us as a partner on the show. And as mentioned earlier, we'll be running a promotion with him to offer one lucky listener a special Paul Oz original. So keep an eye out for that on socials. More information coming really soon. For now, though, please continue to subscribe, review wherever you listen, and tell your friends to check out the Motormouth podcast. Until next time, goodbye.
Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official, and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans, and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.